Welcome to the Transformation Podcast. My name is Chris Sanchez, and I'm joined with Darren Davis, pastor and senior leader here at the Harbor Church. Darren, today's episode, we are with Yvonne Green. She's a sweet soul. She shares about her life coming from another country, coming here to the United States and experiencing culture shock and just opening herself up, not only to what the U.S. is giving her, but in her relationship throughout with the Lord. And she was in some deep spots. What were your thoughts on that? I love this podcast, just listening to Yvonne's story, and not only hearing a story, but seeing the action that she's involved in right now within the school system, which is a massive space right now that is being engaged by the local church in this region. And she's on the forefront of that in the place of prayer and the place of engagement with leaders and high-level administrators. And so this is a really good one to tune into and just hear a story that's actually practically being lived out that we can testify to ourselves right here today. So we look forward to just tuning in again and hearing a story of a life transformed. excited to hear your story, your testimony. I know we're going to be talking about a broad range of how God has impacted your life and excited for the people to hear your testimony. So I just want to first of all say thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Let's kind of frame how you ended up here in this podcast. Let's jump into the very beginning. So if you were to express what was some of your first encounters, first experiences following this man named Jesus, can you take us there? Oh, that's quite a story. So I got saved as a young child, and it was more the um, fire insurance salvation where, you know, you get saved because you don't want to go to hell. And then I started to pray and learn about Jesus, and I realized Jesus is too good for me to just not want to go to hell. He's so good, I want to choose him because I love him. And I think that was a big turning point in my life because it wasn't I wasn't trying to go to hell. I wanted Jesus. Mm. And, and, and kind of like describe how old are you? Where are you? Like Oh, so I lived in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, my family. That's where we're from. Okay. I was about maybe eight at the time. And when I got to about 15, that's when I started to say, I don't think it's a good idea to just not want to go to hell. Jesus did so much. And I didn't even understand that it was awe and wonder and worship. It was just like, as I was reasoning, I don't think, I, I want to choose Jesus mm. for Jesus, not because I don't want to go to hell. And what, what, what did you, did you read something? Did you hear a worship song? What was the change? Where did you get no, it? No, it was, you know, like, I don't even know. I think it's just as you pray, you talk to God, and then God answers you, or you ask God to do something, and he does it. And then I think also hearing the word about how good God is, but still back then it was attached to avoiding hell. And then I felt, no, Jesus can stand on his own. I don't have to not go to hell. I want Jesus. If he died for me, I want Jesus. Was there somebody there to 
you to confide this in to share this about or are you working on your own like what what was this process of like that change of realization of it you're not it, he's not just a fire safety right a right hell free card you know that like he's more than that well i belong to a very vibrant youth group and we were encouraged to experience jesus experience holy spirit and it's after i got baptized with the holy spirit mm that I started to, but Jesus is so much better than not going to hell. In fact, it felt so insulting. I remember apologizing to God. Oh, okay, so many things there. Wait, let's start in the beginning. A lot of people might not understand. They read it in Scripture and they hear about it, but what can you express and explain what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Okay, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is multidimensional. It is one, the inviting of the overflow, because we all have Holy Spirit. The overflow of Holy Spirit, it's the engagement of worship and adoration with an absolute focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit comes and you just feel, some people feel different. I felt different, but I also spoke in another language which is not a language I'm familiar with. And the honest truth it, truth is it wasn't sophisticated. It was very almost elementary, primitive-sounding words. But what happened is there was a transformation in myself. I saw Jesus differently. I saw myself differently. And you know what else happened to me? I started going on the road to introduce people to Jesus, just like that. I would set aside time every day because I became so aware and conscious of Jesus and his love. I mean, it wasn't like an abstract anymore. It was like a real thing. Yeah. And I would go out and tell people about Jesus, which I wasn't doing before. So that's how I know that there was a radical shift in my life. And I wasn't apologizing it was like I was chasing people down to say, I have a gift. Hey, hey. You know, it wasn't like, oh, do you want Jesus? Hey, I have a gift. I have a gift. So you have this encounter. Mm -hmm. Your life has changed. Mm -hmm. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're saying you're walking up to people on the streets saying, I have a gift for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, can you take us to some stories of some highlights of that time, of that first few months of just this new fire that's burning on the inside of you? Oh, yeah. So the the evangelism piece, the telling people about Jesus was huge because I'm not a very outgoing person. So I knew that was like way, way back when. I may not remember all the details, but I do remember wanting more of Jesus and being very conscious of Jesus, not as a judge, which is how the fire thing is but more somebody who was walking with me. So it was more conversational. I had conversations with Jesus, which were prayers as opposed to prayers, which were more constricted kind of thing. So the biggest transformation was how I engaged God, how I engaged the Holy Spirit, how I became more aware of Holy Spirit and how he would very gently instruct me. So that was like the big, big change. And then also I was a student then. So there was more faith to bring to my studies and the goals that God gave me. And 
like to come to this country was such a battle. But, you know, one of the things Holy Spirit does is gives a confidence in God. And so I went to the embassy like maybe a whole month every day. And every day they would stamp no. And I would say, I think I'll go tomorrow. And they'd stamp no. And anyway, God worked it out. In the end, the per- the person who said no was the person who said yes. But Holy Spirit gives you that confidence and he gives you that ability to say one more time. I'm going to try one more time. Hmm. And then you... And, so the Holy Spirit, that I feel the baptism of the Holy Spirit really helped to position me to become who God created me to be. Amen. Before we get to the trip from Jamaica to the United States, when you were having your new, right, your made new, did everybody was like, yay, go ahead. Did they support you? Were there people questioning, like, what were you saying? What were you doing? Did you have any, any kind of conflicts there? No, I imagine that as a, you know, I was also a very headstrong child. So <laughs> I had confrontations with my mom, not about that, but, you know, just the, you know, being a, a child and you don't agree with your parent. But I had a very vibrant, strong, cohesive youth group. And in Jamaica at the time, there were groups in schools, high schools, that were focused on, it was like Christian groups. I didn't have one in my school, but my youth group was very, very strong. And so we had lots of conversations about Holy Spirit. So it wasn't that I was moving in isolation. It was part of what we were being nurtured into. And it was part of the culture of trusting God and discovering God. We have to say thank you so much for that experience. So so why the, why the desire to leave? Why come to the United oh, States? Oh, why come to the United States? Because I wanted to be a psychiatrist. Okay. And, and then I changed to a psychologist, and we didn't have a school of psychology in Jamaica at our university, so I had to come here to study. Was it difficult, that adjustment of, of trying to leave Jamaica to come and go no, to school here? No, because my <laughs> dream was so real. Yeah. You know, it was so real. I'm going to be a psychologist. So imagine I'm leaving Jamaica. Um, we're, right now I'm in South Florida. So it's the same kind of summer clothes. That's all I have, right? And I go to Mishawaka, Indiana <laughs> in February, no less, oh, no man. less, in February Yeah, to snow. I'd never seen snow, never wore a coat before. I, I mean, after a week, I had to stop wearing it because my shoulders hurt. I wasn't used to it. All this clothes you have to put on. The best one was at the cafeteria. They would serve Sloppy Joe. And I would say, why what? would anyone <laughs> want to eat something that's sloppy? <laughs> it was hysterical. It's total culture change, right? Culture shock. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I want to go there in a second. You had mentioned you had a dream that was so real. Oh, yes. Can we talk about dreams? Yes. A lot of people have dreams. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a gift from the Father to instill dreams in us, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes from his heart, right? Yes. And the dreams that we have, he wants for us. Yes. Can you talk about the process, though, of receiving a dream, which is one thing, Mm -hmm. right? And then the second thing is going after it. 
And so what did that look like for you? What what advice can you give to people who have big dreams, but they just, they're not getting it or they let go of the dream because they think it's unachievable? Yeah. So I said I, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. There was a show on TV and this guy was just amazing. And I saw myself doing that. And so I realized I want to be a psychologist. And it's one of those things that when you talk about it, you smile, your eyes twinkle. Because it, I don't know how to explain it. It's like it feels, it feels so real, like it's not out of reach. So I was always thinking about it. And I think that's part of how a dream comes about. You have to spend time with it. You have to fall in love with it. When I thought about being a psychologist, I got excited. Like, I'm going to help kids. I'm going to help people. So I went to Indiana. Like, I've never seen this many white people. Let's be (laughs) real, right? I'm like one of 10 black people in the school. Uh, They talk strange. They think I talk strange. The food is strange. But I, oh, my God, God, I thank you. I'm going to be a psychologist. That's all I could think about. So I would take like 22 credits per semester. No plane. Summer, I did double session. But the thing is, I wanted it so badly. So that's part, I think, of what helps dreams to come true, that you have to want it so badly. So then I just pursued, pursued, pursued. I finished my degree. I moved to New York. And then I decided I'm not going to go to a doctorate. I'm going to do a social work degree. And again, I could see myself doing what I wanted, which makes it more real than anything else. And do you know what? Years later, when I was working in the schools as a, psycho- as a social worker, school social worker, and I would do therapy with kids, one day I was walking in the halls and I saw the vision of myself envisioning myself in this moment. And I said, oh my God, this is it. I'm living my dream. That was a moment, just walking. It's not even I was thinking about it. But recently, God has been talking to me because he says, I'm not dreaming, and I'm not dreaming big. And who wants to hear that? But it's true. So then he says to me, you've got to open yourself up to the ridiculous things. Because when things seem so grand and glorious, we consider them to be grandiose, and we dismiss them. But that's how God works. He starts with the obscenely grandiose. Like he says to Abraham, count the stars, count the sand, and that's how many kids you're going to have. And Abraham is like childless. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But the way I'm understanding this is that God is going to bring grandiose, glorious, out-of-reach things to you. And as you start accepting them, you're going to get to those that are more immediate. So it's a progression from the end to now, whereas we like to go from now to the end. So part of what I have to do, write the vision, no matter how outrageous it is. You mentioned, if we can jump back to Indiana. Yes. Okay, culture shock. You said uh, the people thought you were strange. What, what are some examples of just 
the differences of what you experienced in in such a you know a cold northern white place as opposed to Kingston, Jamaica. Well, first of all, the people were very nice. I went there in February. One of the professors was going to Chicago for Easter. He took me. He doesn't know me. Took me with his family. And then Thanksgiving, somebody invited me. I mean, people... Because you weren't going back and forth, right? No, you were just staying there. I was, yeah. Gotcha. I came here to get a degree. That's it. And, I, you know, but people were so kind to me. Mm. And at the same time, it was so different for me, right? So the accent was different. I would speak and they said, what? I can't even remember some of the words <laughs> now. But, you know, the accent was different. Anyway, I had to learn how to dress, yeah. uh, you know. That was the biggest adjustment. But I loved everything. Well, the food was different, you know. Right, sloppy joes and all Sloppy joes. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why not say joe? Right, right, right. <laughs> sloppy. So, New York. Well, what's New York like compared to... Oh, New York was... Era? New York was everything. You know, I went there for grad school and... I decided I wanted to not be bored. I want to live an adventurous life, which I think God calls us all to do. So I figured out how to get tickets, discounted tickets to go to Broadway. Then I started traveling. I started discovering all the little communities, ethnic communities in New York, and I had the best life ever. And also my job was very challenging but prayer again, we were, it was in a time when two major crises were going on. The crack epidemic broke out, mm. so people were dying like flies. HIV AIDS broke out, people were dying like flies. Kids would come to school, and by the time they're leaving, they're orphans. So emotionally, it was so stressful for the school, and it was chaotic. I started to pray. I said, God, you better give me answers. I need answers. I said, God, if I don't have answers for these children, how to help them, how are they going to believe that you love them? Please give me some answers. And never fail. God gave me answers. We started to work with the kids, help them. And we weren't overwhelmed. And I had an amazing colleague we worked so well together, I would have half a dream to solve a problem, and she would have the other half of the dream. Wow. Yeah. And I'd say, oh, I dreamt this. She said, well, I have the other half of the dream. I mean, God gave me joy to help the kids. You know, at the end of the day, if kids can't experience God's kindness through us, how are they going to experience it? How are they going to know how are they going to look back in time, maybe when somebody tells them about Jesus and say, oh, that lady was so kind to me. Maybe she was showing me Jesus. Do you have a story? Is there something that jumps out that you remember one of those answers or a story where the kid was actually able to experience Oh, you kindness? don't even want to hear this one. No, please. Let's go. So in all, I'm, it, I sound like I'm a really great person, except that I wasn't. I used to wear these, I mean, I used to look so put together going to work. I would wear silk blouses and suits and blah, blah, blah. And I was working with a pair of twins. 
and they were dirty and smelly, and I would not touch them. I would touch the other kids. I would hug them, you know, walk with them in the hall. But those kids, no. But I knew God. I, you know, you can feel when God is watching you. I could feel God watching me. And so I would say nicer things, try to say nice things, but I wouldn't touch them. And the Lord said to me, why don't you touch those boys? And I said, they're so dirty. You know how God is. You know, he won't say much, then he'll say, why don't you touch the boys and hug them the way you hug the other kids? I said, God, they're so dirty. And they're going to make me smell. And, you know, I have to go on the subway. I don't want to smell. And they're going to mess up my silk blouse. And the Lord said, did I die for a silk blouse or did I die for those boys? Well, you know, it's game over, right? <laughs> I said, well, you died for them. But, God, you, you don't want me to go on the subway smelling. Did I die for a silk blouse or did I die for those boys? He says, you need to. The day came when I said, today, God, give me grace. So I'm walking with the boys, and I close my eyes. I mean, you'd think I'm going to die. Right, right. Anyway, I hugged both boys. I cannot even tell you how joy overtook me. But guess what? Something also broke in those boys because they saw me being so sweet and affectionate with the other kids, but with them, I wasn't. And they were having lots of problems in school. After that incident, and I started as a part of my work with them to embrace them, they just outperformed other kids. And then I started to understand how resilient they were. They were taking care of themselves. And here I am, making my silk blouse more important than them. Mm. So that's one of the most important lessons of my life. I have to remember who God died for. He didn't die for a what. He died for a who. And nobody's so dirty that I can't touch them physically or emotionally embrace them. Wow. I know. I mean, you, you talked about, though, a time where there was crisis after crisis, you know, during that time. Now, we're in a bunch of other crises. Oh, tell me about it. Can you share, have you experienced anything with regards to kids, anything that, that you feel that kids are in need of now during a crisis of quarantining, COVID, social unrest, like all the stuff that's going on in the country right now? Can you share yeah. a little bit about that? So, you know, I still work with schools and um, not directly with a lot of students, but with a, a group of students. But what the students still need is the prayer and the affection. And the like this past weekend, this past Friday, I was working with a group of kids. Now, being at this church, the prophetic gift is very enhanced here. So without trying, I automatically shift into the prophetic. So I met this girl for the first time, and I could feel like there's something going on. And I said to her, you have the most beautiful name. It sounds like it's such a flowing name. I think you might be writing spoken words. She's like, how do you know that? And then I said, yeah, I think you're a poet. She said, I write poetry. 
I said, I want you to set up an appointment to see me because I, I want to talk to you some more. So she sent me a note. Nobody notices me. She said, I was so shocked that you, you would say something to me because nobody noticed me. So getting to your point, a lot of kids feel lost and invisible. And so part of what we want to do as Christians, remember, Holy Spirit adores them. So to somehow bring that joy, be a mirror of that joy and that acceptance. So that's a big thing. Right now, everybody's frightened. Kids feel, so why am I doing all of this? There's no future. So it's about helping them to fall in love with the future that God has for them, but also who they are. Mm. Because it's not so much where you think you're going that's going to take you through now. It's who you are. So they need people to help them to become resilient and to expose them to resilience. And I think that there is a huge need for prayer for the kids. I mean, hey, I tell them you're history makers. We have to reframe things because if we don't, they're going to go down. But in my work, I'm always reframing. Hey, if you were if you're alive today, it means that you are meant to be a history maker. We're making history today and celebrate little gains, incremental things because for kids, especially teenagers, everything seems so big. You know how I mean for adults. <laughs> I I know, but but even for the kid, you right, know, right, right. the part of that period is everything is so extreme. You're either extremely bad or extremely this. So it's kind of helping to give perspective. But I think right now that one of the big things that anybody can do is pray that one God connects children with caring adults and especially Christians. You mentioned that young lady said that no one had seen her. And you said that people, that kids nowadays feel isolated and alone that they're not seen. Yeah. I think we're seeing a little bit of a byproduct of that lack of identity and lack of being loved just for who they are mm-hmm. and frustration mm-hmm. and you know, and it leads to anger and, and it leads to rage. So when you see what happened over the summer, mm-hmm. right? When you see what happened over the summer with George Floyd and just the social unrest, mm-hmm. even so it, it continues still till today, what are you experiencing as um, a black mother, one who leads and, and someone who cares so much about, about young children and, and their future and the way that they view themselves? Well, here's the truth. I think the most fundamental thing is to know that God is a God of righteousness and justice. It's not one or the other. And sometimes we talk more about one and not about the other. I see this period as a reset time for the church because many of us, we've talked more about the righteousness of God and not the justice. And the throne of God is both. So we are out of balance. If we focus just on righteousness, if we focus just on justice. Here's another thing that I believe, that the issue of justice, especially around race, is very complex. It's like a sinkhole. You never know where you're going to go down. 
the fact of the matter is that this is so important to God that he expects the church to solve this issue, not with human wisdom. We see that human wisdom showing up with all these different groups that destroy. But the wisdom that comes from God solves problems and it establishes order. And so I feel now more than ever, churches want to, there's no shame if you don't understand how to articulate justice, racial justice. It's a language of its own. There is no shame if you don't feel called to it. Not every battle you're called to. But if this is something that God wants you to do, here's, here's what God wants us all to do. Love mercy, show kindness to others, and honor, right? If we do that, then the whole issue of racial justice becomes easier for the church and the individual because what is justice about? Mercy, kindness, truth, and honor. Because true justice isn't earthly justice. True justice is heavenly justice, kingdom justice, right? But it has its manifestation sure. in, in earthly terms, in earthly expressions. But because I feel the church has not fully embraced this or it's so scary, we've allowed others to develop a language for the justice and it's social justice, but I think God has righteous justice. And so we have to develop the language and the expressions of that, and I believe God wants to give it to the church. There's so many things God calls us to that we don't know the answers. We don't know what's next. But when we take one step, he's going to take us into the next step. I think it's an exciting time. It's the church going into an area that is the gates of hell, but it shall not prevail. Mm. But I don't think I answered your question. No, no, yes, perfect. So you talk about God calls us to do something. Mm -hmm. He gave you a calling. Yes. Can you talk about a project that you were oh. working on over the last few months and, and share the heart behind it? Okay. So in 2015, somebody, I don't remember the gentleman, a black gentleman was killed by the police and there was no resolution to it. And I was devastated, right? And I was depressed, and I said, Oh, dear God, I don't even know what to do. And I'm like crying to the Lord. And I said, God, what can I do? The only thing I know to do is pray. What can I do? So God immediately gave me an answer. He says, prophesy to those dry bones and tell them to live. And I'm like, what is that about? And he says, you have to prophesy what you want. So he said, I'm going to tell you. So I wrote this poem, prayer, just one sitting because of that. So here it is. I move from abject despair to cloud nine hope because God spoke a word, prophesy. I wrote the poem and Somebody said, oh, this is this could make a great book. Anyway, it didn't happen. But this year with George Floyd, my sister says, why don't you read us that letter you wrote to our man? I'd totally forgotten about it. And when I took it out, it was for now. Hmm. And everybody said, put it on social media. Blah, 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 blah. But 
I'm like, no. So I prayed. I talked to the Lord. He says, yep. I worked on it. I didn't want, I'm, I really shy away from the public domain. And anyway, God says, yeah, work on it. And it was so, it was so challenging because I just didn't want to be in the public. But God gave me the courage and I worked on it and I created this beautiful, it's really a very powerful poem that even has orchestrated music and it's so powerful and it's, it's a prayer that any person can pray for any ethnic group. It's not exclusively for blacks. For me, I'm a black woman. This is what God gave me. But for any ethnic group, the same prayer can be prayed. So before before we actually, we we're going to play it. We're going to have thank everyone you. listen to it, um, play it. Before we get out of here, first of all, I want to say thank you again for sitting oh, here and, and, and sharing all the transformation that's had. Can you do from some prophesying right now for our country? There's just so much. There's such a, an obvious need of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And he's the, he's the focus. He's the way that we will all see the justice and the righteousness prevail. So if you can, just share a little bit about that, and then we'll play the, the poem that you wrote. Okay. So, God, right now we just want to declare over this nation that the government is on your shoulder and they will call you wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the increase of your government, there shall be no end in this nation called the United States of America. We declare, Father, that the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, make them one, even as you and I are one, we declare it is that time for that word to be fulfilled. We say, Church of Jesus Christ in America, become one, because the Lord your God is one God. Father, we declare that all that spirit of division that has come in this church, in the body of Christ across this country, we declare it is time for it to go. We say, be made one, be made one. Father, we highlight the blood of Jesus Christ, which Hebrews talks about as way superior than anything else. It is the blood that makes us one. Father, we now use the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of our testimony. We are saying all the divisions of isms, political, whatever, ideological. We say you are inferior to the glory of the blood. You're inferior to the cross of Jesus Christ and all these idols. They Anything that has exalted itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ, we say, come down, come down. We place you, Jesus, in the highest place. We say in the church of Jesus Christ, hearts burn for you, hearts long for you. We declare right now a spirit of brokenness and repentance comes upon the church the body of Jesus Christ, and we turn away from all these ideologies that we have elevated above your word or made equal to your word. And we say, Jesus, be exalted in the highest place. 
We speak over the United States of America. We say you will remain United States of America. We speak to the spirit of division that has come to this nation. We say you leave and go into the abyss where you belong. We say let the spirit of truth overcome this nation. We make room for the spirit of truth in every area, in the church, starting with the church, in our government, in our homes, in our families. We say, let joy come to this nation. Let unity come to this nation. We speak peace to this nation. We speak salvation to those who are lost and who in their most sincere beliefs think they're doing the right thing, but they're kicking against the prick. We call for the souls, and we say become soul. We mm. call salvation to our young people yeah. who have been, who who have a veil over their eyes, and we say come to Jesus. It is your time. There's a place in the kingdom for you. We call you into destiny, and we call for an awakening in the church of Jesus Christ. Awake. Awake thou that sleepest, arise and shine. The light Christ Jesus has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon the church. And the scripture tells us in John 17 that the oneness is in the glory. We declare the glory of the Lord comes upon the church of Jesus Christ. And oneness come to you. We live and we move as one in Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Amen. Thank you. So here it is, a poem by Yvonne Green, Live, Black Man, Live. Beloved black men, live, live, live by Yvonne Green. I am frightened, but I can't speak, scared, but refuse to give language to it. You see, I love black men, and it's scary to love black men. I am a black woman blessed with black men. I love my black baby boys, young men, older men, and my sages. I have a black sage for a father. I have honorable black men for cousins, uncles, brothers-in-law, and friends. I have smart, fun-loving, ambitious, edgy black young men for my nephews and yummy, adventure-loving black boys for my grandnephews. They are all I have. They're honorable, kind, driven, faithful, God-fearing, and hardworking. Their souls have been branded with the secret pain of the black man. They made mistakes, said they are sorry, and changed the course of their lives for the better. I love my black men. They are enough, good enough, worthy of my love. When I see, read, or hear about the negative life trajectory of black men from the media, I sometimes stop breathing. 
Some of these men have stopped breathing. Stopped breathing involuntarily and by choice. Will this happen to my black men? The black men I love? I say no. 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 In the Bible, God took Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones, of death, hopelessness, and devastation. God instructed Ezekiel to prophesy or speak to the dead bones and to tell them to live. After he did, God would breathe life in the bones and cause them to live. Ezekiel did as God instructed him, and the dry bones became alive. They lived. I believe this is God's vision for black men in America and everywhere. So I am going to prophesy to the black men I love, and I will command them to live. Beloved black men, conceived in the heart of God with great purpose and power, hear the heart of the Lord for you. You were made in God's greatness and glory. You were created with honor, dignity, and purpose. You're a gift to the world to bring his unique glory to your families, communities, and the world. Therefore, my beloved black men, live, live, live. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to you, beloved black men. You were made to be creators, innovators, healers, leaders, lovers of God and of life. Therefore, my beloved black men, live, live, live. You were made to laugh, cry, succeed, fail, learn, grow, rest, think, Imagine, to be curious, to excel, and be free. Therefore, my beloved black men, live, live, live. I created you to give and to get help, to make mistakes and learn from mistakes, to forgive and be forgiven, to protect and be protected to provide and be provided for, to love and be loved, to honor and be honored. Therefore, my beloved black men, live, live, live. My beloved son, black man, I love you. I have always loved you. I will always love you. Behold, I am releasing new life in you, black man, and you will live. You will live and become a mighty army for God. Live, beloved black man. Live. Live, beloved black man. Live. My beloved black baby boys, live.
You were created to be limitless. So live, live, live. Black teen boys, you were created to thrive, explore, set goals, and succeed. So live, live, live. Black men, young black men, you were created to have joy in your success and hard work, to raise up your own families, to chart new course and bigger visions for yourself and your community. You must live. So live, live, live. Black men, old black men, the sages, you were created to guide mentor, encourage, to protect the younger ones, to pass on the wisdom and honor and glory of the black man to the next generation and the world. So live, live, live! Ezekiel prophesied life to the dry bones. God released his breath in them. They became alive. They lived, and they live. Live, my beloved black man. Live. Live, beloved black man. Live. Live, beloved black man. Live. 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 Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Transformation Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.